Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. I come back at you with, once again, uh, I'm doing this recording at 12.55 a.m. here on, I guess, now Tuesday morning. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, you can probably empathize with my time of bed uh, as you listen to this podcast. But I have to collect the data, have to put in the time to understand what the Browns are doing, and pass it along to you. If you did not listen to yesterday's podcast, it was a deep dive on the defense. We talked about personnel as they uh, sub packages used to line up to what Jacksonville threw at them, player performance uh, from everybody, specifically also talking uh, how different uh, groupings played, second team, third team, whatever, because we obviously didn't see much uh, much first team, period. Uh, but but we're kind of covering all the bases. Did they blitz? How often did they blitz? When did a player come? All that stuff. So that is as detailed as anything you will find on the market. We'll do the same for offense right now. This will be your normal game week to understand your Cleveland Browns. I don't think you're getting this anywhere else. We're not just talking snap counts. We're talking usages, okay? So we'll share as we start here some of the data from the game, what they did with uh, personnel packages, which I think is obviously an important thing to track because – the Browns last year, big point of contention, throwing the football more, and they use a lot of tight ends. Will they change that? Last year, they led the league in two tight end usage. Okay, by far over 500 snaps with two or more tight ends on the field. Love them. Minnesota, who actually was the only team to use 11 personnel. When I talk about 11 personnel, we did cover this in Chalk Talks on YouTube. If you want a deep dive on personnel groupings, 11 personnel is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. By far, some teams like Cincinnati, 75% of their snaps last year came in 11 personnel. Rams love it, so on and so forth. The the most popular personnel grouping in the NFL today. The Browns only ran at 40% last year, which was tied with Tennessee for 31st in the league. I think Minnesota's was like 27% or something like that. Something crazy lower. But Minnesota was less two-plus tight ends and more two running backs. They love to use C.J. Ham as their fullback. So, nonetheless, the Browns were at the bottom. So I charted 70 snaps. There's technically 71. I'm not going to include a kneel down because, obviously, victory formations don't count. But uh, looking at this thing, uh, we will see that if you look at it on the surface, 60% of their snaps, 42 of the 70, came in 11 personnel. And it's like, whoa, that's a big uptick. That's fantastic. 9 of 21 uh, personnel, so two backs in the backfield, a fullback, a running back, one tight end, 9 snaps out of 70, 13%. uh, 12 personnel, probably the Browns' most popular uh, personnel grouping. One running back, two tight ends. They ran 14 of those snaps in 70, uh, 14 out of 70, so 20%. And then 22 personnel, which is two running backs, usually a running back, fullback, two tight ends, one wide receiver. They ran 5 times 7%. So what you're looking at is a snapshot of, of a game probably not going to give you the greatest information about what's going on. The Browns had, let's count them up here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight possessions. The ninth one was the kneel down, so we won't include that. So eight possessions, went through all of them, tracked where these guys are playing, uh, and, and we'll just kind of go through these, all right? So 
I think what's interesting, and, and you, you certainly don't see any 13 personnel, this is where Kevin Stefanski talked about how they didn't scheme up this game, uh, which is important to understand that they didn't use any motion. They used a little bit of wide receiver motion to take care of overhang defenders and run game. No design motion, no jet motion, no tight end motion, no fullback mode. They were very vanilla. They did, in three occasions, take a running back out of the backfield and motion him wide. That's what they like to do out of 11 or uh, uh, 12 personnel with two tight ends. They'll take that running back out of the backfield, split them. It's an empty set. They did that a few times, but not many. So there was truly no game plan scheming anything going on here specifically for Jacksonville. So as we look at this thing, what I wanted to do is chart the first three series. Because, you know, the, this is a preseason game, and yeah, they're not doing any scheming, but they are charting out some plays to start. So they ran 25 plays in the first three series of the game. All right? Obviously resulted in a couple field goals. Uh, I think one it resulted in a punt. I think, yes, that's right. It went 29 yards in total on eight plays. They ended up punting after a, a missed throw down the field. They had a, a false start on so third down that they completed to Richard Higgins, but they ended up having to move it back, and then they threw a shot downfield to Donovan Peoples-Jones was incomplete. So, yeah, they punted. So they went field goal, punt, field goal. I really wanted to focus on those. So here's your personnel groupings. I'll just go through them. 21, this is the first drive. 21, 21, 11, 11, 11, 12, 12, 12. Second drive. 21, 12, 11, 12, 12, 12, 22, 11. Third drive. 21, 11, 22, 21, 21, 11, 21, 12, 11. That sounds familiar, right? So only eight of those 25 snaps, a 32% mark, which is kind of the number that they customarily settle, settle in on. 32% of those 25 snaps are in 11 personnel. Otherwise, they were in 22, 21, or 12. So, you know, you can get excited a little bit about what they're doing with the personnel groupings and all of this uptick in 11 and think, yeah, they're going to change. So let's jump at this notion. We need to see more, obviously. Well, they came back out for their third drive, their fourth drive of the game. Kyle Aletta came in, six minutes left in the second quarter. It was all 11 personnel, okay? They ended up going downfield. I think they ended up going on downs. They went nine plays, 46 yards, every single one of them, 11 personnel. Got the football back with a minute 13 second quarter, obviously in a, in a hurry-up scenario. Score a touchdown, eight plays, 68 yards, all 11 personnel. When you're in hurry-up, you need receivers on the field. It's not abnormal, right? Coming back out of half. So again, talking at halftime, scheming things up. This is what we're going to do our first drive out. Six plays, 21, 12, 21, 12, 11, field goal. Okay, so, you know, you add the six plays, the field goal. Um, again, that's all pretty much heavier personnel groupings. Then they start to get in the speed-up situation where they want to use more guys, get more guys in the field. Switz is in there in the slot. They run a 20-play, 89-yard drive, which was really cool. 11, 11, 11, 12, 11, 12, 11, 11, 12, 12, 11, 11, 11, 11, and all the way out. So, yeah, I mean, in that drive, you actually saw a couple motions to empty, but it was all 11 personnel. So I think in, like... When they think about what they want to do, they use more tight ends, right? When they don't think about what they want to do, just kind of let's go with it. Let's get reps for guys. You saw a lot of 11 personnel. So again, I just wanted to bring the data to the table so everybody understood and looked at the important parts of the game, where they're at, uh, the first three drives. That number is probably a little bit more accurate for where they're going to be. They're not going to be a 60% 11 personnel team. They might go this past year from 40%, maybe creep toward the 50% line. But this is who they are. They're never going to be a 60-70% team. So I wanted to share that data with you because I think it covers a lot of important information. Uh, we're going to go through and track this throughout the preseason, obviously into the season. It takes a lot of time, but I think it's worth it to understand what the Browns offense is trying to do. Uh, we're going to kind of cover more players 
now if we can uh, i think we need to dive into how performance went for some of these guys and i'll try to track with you where some guys lined up too we can start with the running backs for the night uh dearness johnson played most of the first half rotating around with john kelly didn't think john kelly played all too well thought he got a little bouncy in some situation not that the run blocking was great uh, i thought that there were predictable in a lot of situations and, and Jacksonville was loading the box and really being undisciplined on the backside and the Browns could have exploited it in a regular game but you know I thought there were chances for John Kelly to make some runs that were heavily read based he had a 56.0 run grade he, he caught the ball well and I thought I thought all of the backs pass protected well um, I thought all of them and, and there's a key play there in the second quarter where John Kelly comes across and cuts a blitzing safety and it was beautiful uh, they pass protected well, but I thought John Kelly didn't run it well. The vision just wasn't there. He tried to bounce a couple when he shouldn't have bounced them. Dearness Johnson was fine running, 63.6 run grade, pass blocking. He didn't get a good pass block score, but I thought he was fine when he pass blocked. Uh, his pass score in general, I think he had one drop, so that puts him down a little bit. But he had a 57.2, but I thought De Dearness was fine. Caught a nice screen, had a nice run off that screen. He had 24 snaps. Uh, Kelly had 21 snaps. And uh, I believe eight run eight rushes for Kelly, and uh, Demetric Felton had, or sorry, not Demetric Felton. They list him as a running back. Obviously, the Pro Football Focus needs to update that. Dearness Johnson had five rushes, so not a high volume. Browns threw the ball a ton. Obviously, we know that they only ran for the for mid forties. In the second half, Corey Taylor had twelve snaps. Thought he played pretty well. Had a lot of uh, had a bulk of carries for that twelve snap period. He had six carries, but. Nothing to write home about, but I thought he was fine. You know, I thought overall he was fine. They gave the football a lot to Johnny Stanton, which I think is catching everybody a little off guard. I think they're just trying to keep their group healthy for the most part. But, uh, yeah, Stanton gets some carries out of the backfield. Thought he was fine. The, the question for the Browns at fullback is interesting. You know, Stanton's tough enough to block. He handles blocking well. He played 22 snaps. He, run, he ran the football a little bit. Athletic catch over the middle of the field. It's just a matter of, like, what he wants to, what they want to do, I guess, with the future of this position. You know, I think Johnny Stanton has more athletic upside than Andy Janovich, but Janovich is obviously a little tougher. Uh, Janovich grades a 65.7, 75.9 and pass uh, as he caught a ball out of the backfield, ran down the left sideline, if you recall, in a play-action play, where Case Keenum just completely missed his tight end on a, on a little corner route that was wide open. C.J. Henderson, ironically, the much-maligned uh, first-round pick in 2020 of the Jags just blew that coverage and man-to-man -man, he kind of came over in motion and, and just didn't see the tight end run past him got caught up looking at the run but I don't know that, that I don't I don't know if Janovich's roster spot is uncertain but they're using Johnny Stanton a lot they ran him with the football and the orange and brown scrimmage and again that could just be them trying to keep the running backs healthy they're not using Kareem and Nick a lot but maybe they're looking extensively at Johnny Stanton for what kind of athlete he is just something to keep your eye on they're giving him a lot of opportunities uh, it could just be a keep Janovich healthy thing, but if they keep a fullback, maybe it's not quite so secure that it is Janovich. Maybe they like the long-term malleability of what uh, of what Johnny Stanton could bring. So that's your look at running backs, essentially tight ends. Um, 39 snaps for Jordan Franks, 23 in pass, 15 in run block. Harrison Bryant was your early game tight end, 17 snaps, 11 in pass, uh, 11 in pass, one pass block snap, five run block snaps. He graded out of 50.4. 47.3 in pass, 69.2 in pass block, and 60.1 in run block. Thought he was fine. Typical. I think he looks bigger. Look, he looks better physically. Excited about him. Steven Carlson got seven snaps before the knee injury that is obviously going to keep him out. And it will hurt the Browns. He is a, by far the fourth best tight end on the roster and a good player. He was having a good day at a 77 grade, 84.9 in pass. Uh, pass grade, 
57.3 and run. He's big, physical. I, I don't know what they'll do. We'll keep our eye on what they're going to do with that position, but he was clearly the best player for the fourth tight end position if they were going to keep him. Of the two guys left, Jordan Franks and Connor Davis, it's it's very clearly Jordan Franks. Jordan Franks was number 87. He had 39 snaps on the game. He had a 55.7 grade, 49.3 in pass, 67.0 in run block. I thought he run blocked really well. Connor Davis is a little bigger, but... Man, that guy plods around, and he did not take effective angles in run game. He was pretty poor all the way around. 40.1 in offensive grade, 45.4 in receiving grade, and a 45.7 run block grade, and I think that's pretty accurate. Jordan Frank's a better athlete, moves better in space. Neither of them are great tight end standard athletes, but Jordan Frank's just a better moving athlete. Connor Davis is just very plodding. Uh, I I don't particularly like him. I think he could be cut before we know it. So those are your tight ends. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Talking about wide receivers now, Donovan Peoples-Jones plays 16 snaps. He has a 73.8 grade, 71.9 pass grade. Um, He was your ex early in the game. He played the first two series. Again, which resulted in 16 catches. He play, he faced Shaquille Griffin, which is a very, very good NFL corner. Very good, but a, a really respected, good NFL corner. Had uh, had three catches on him. That great, really ridiculous reach back one hand catch on that on that uh, on that 10 yard rollout, which I, I thought was an impressive catch. Beat him inside a couple times too. So uh, I liked how Donovan Peoples Jones played, and clearly with his 16 snaps, playing X, not playing, he's the third receiver, especially the first guy up outside. Higgins is out. It was playing Z. Uh, Hig played Z. Uh, I think he had a couple more snaps collectively on the game. He had 23. He had a 69.2 grade. He had one catch that resulted in a first down in the second quarter. He had a 68.4 pass uh, pass grade and a 59.2 run block grade. Not that the run block is a huge thing. So uh, Higgins was in at Z the entire first series when they went 11 personnel. Felton was your slot receiver. Demetric Felton for the day. Should note he had a 66.4 offensive grade. We should probably go and look at receiving grades on some of these things because Pro Football Focus looks at these a little bit more uh, in a narrow scope. So receiving grades, your better players on the day. John Kelly had an 84.9. Stephen Carlson had an 84.9. From your wide receiver perspective, we'll get to Davion Davis in a little bit. He had an 80.7 grade. Okay, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones had a 70, let's see here, a 71.9 offensive receiving grade. Shard Higgins a 68.4. So, um, yeah, I think that the leader in targets, five for Donovan Peoples-Jones. He had three catches, 26 yards. 
Felton had six targets, four catches, 44 yards. So he was pretty effective when they went his way, and we'll talk more about him. I want to make sure you know who was in the first group. So first group was Donovan Peoples-Jones at X, the backside on the line of scrimmage guy. Z was uh, Richard Higgins, who was your off-ball motion. When they want a motion, he's that guy, Z. Uh, they usually split the opposite direction. The second series, Donovan Peoples-Jones was at X. The very first play of that series, eight-play series, uh, Kadero Hodge was in it, Z, and then Higgins came in the rest of the time. And then the next series out, Higgins bumped over to X, which has been a big part of what Richard Higgins has been talking about was moving from uh, position to position, having more comfortability. I didn't see him in the slot, obviously, but uh, being able to play either outside position is important. So he played that entire third drive at X, and then Hodge was your Z during that time. And again, um, Felton was your slot, again, for that majority of the time. he was Felton was your slot until the uh, second half when... Uh, Ryan Switzer took over for him. Uh, the third, and, or sorry, the yeah, the third and I can't count the fourth and fifth series there with uh, we talked that there was entirely eleven personnel in those two series. One started at the six minute mark the second quarter, the next at the one thirteen mark in the second quarter. Your X was Bradley, Jamarcus Bradley, and then your Z was Kadero Hodge. So Hodge got an extra series of work there. They came back out at the one thirteen mark. Uh, Davion Davis was your X, and Z was Jamarcus Bradley. So Bradley went from X to Z. Came out in the second half. Switzer was your slot. The first series out there, the six-play series, JoJo Natson was at X. So a little receiver there. Smaller guy, speedier guy at X. And Bradley was back at Z. Same uh, wide receiver pairing on the 20-play drive. But in the latter portion of it, like play 11 on, Davion Davis came in for JoJo Natson, took the rest of those snaps. Uh, and again, so Z was Bradley. And then you had uh, Ryan Switzer in the slot. And then nothing really changed the rest of the time. That's kind of how, how it shook out. So again, uh, from the tight ends, Jordan, uh, I think Jordan Franks had four targets, two catches, 12 yards. Dearness Johnson, running back, had three catches. Uh, sorry, three targets, two catches. He had that long screenplay run and then caught a swing, I think, out of the backfield where he made a nice play in space and ran somebody over. I think it ended up appearing on the check down. They noted that one. Uh, Johnny Stanton had two catches for 14 yards. Uh, like I said, Higgins had one catch on two targets for for uh, for 12, Jamarcus Bradley had a had a pretty nice game, caught a nice ball in an over route off play action. He had two targets, two catches, 38 yards. Davion Davis obviously stands out. He caught all four of his targets, 56 yards and a touchdown. As I mentioned, John Kelly caught the ball well out of the backfield. He also caught a swing pass from Case Keenum and made a nice uh, couple moves in space, made a nice gain on that, and also had a couple screen passes. So he had 44 yards. Steven Carlson had two catches on two targets for 14 yards in his uh, limited limited time there. So that's the grouping from the receiver, tight end, running back, production in the passing game. Um, I thought Davion Davis played really well. I think he's got something there. I mean, I, I think he maybe is a practice squad guy. He's not quite as twitchy as I would like, but he just kind of seems to get open. He's got some wiggle. I'm going to write about this in my article about offensive scouting notes. I liked him, Demetri Felton. Way further along as a wide receiver than I expected. Nice routes, crisp routes from the slot. Nothing crazy downfield. There was on the touchdown that they threw to Davion Davis. He had a one-on-one in the slot, kind of a slot fade, but the ball didn't get thrown his direction. It went to Davis for a touchdown, but he had a real opportunity. And if you look at it, Kyle Laletta kind of hangs on him for a second to keep the safety off of Davis before he comes back to throw to Davis. So I thought he was going to get that opportunity for a downfield throw. He did have earlier in that, that uh, I guess it was a two-minute drive, started with 113, but... He had the deep sort of uh, on a deep dig that ended up going 12 to 15. Then he worked across the field and Laletta kind of pushed out to the po- out of the pocket to the left and hit him. So he did have one downfield throw, but overall really impressed. I think the catch of the day really was that third and two slant route that he caught from the slot. 
He was on the quarterback's right for a three, a three-man side. It was really tight bunch space. The Jags actually dropped a defensive end. A guy on the line of scrimmage dropped him out and kind of congested everything. And Laletta threw a relatively risky ball, but it got caught. And it, it was pretty impressive catch from Felton because the ball was out past his frame. So, again, I mean, I know the Davis catch in the end zone was pretty great, but that catch in terms of being able to pluck it and, and really make a strong fingertip catch stood out to me particularly for Felton. I really liked his game. Donovan Peoples-Jones, again, as I said, clearly the leader in the wide receiver three clubhouse. Higgins and Hodge flirting behind him. As far as the slot goes, it feels like Felton's pushing for that. We'll see what they're going to do with Anthony Schwartz, if he's going to be specifically a slot guy when they go 11 personnel or if he has outside receiver potential. I don't know. We'll just have to keep an eye on that. Jamarcus Bradley continues to play fine. Really nice practice squad guy to have around. I don't know if he has another level, but... You know that's just that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, sometimes you're just you're you're good enough to flirt with the roster, but maybe not ever good enough to eclipse on good teams. Guys like the Browns have. So you know, just so you're aware, the 11 personnel group early in the game, DPJ and Higgins again, your two receivers at X and Z. Felton was your slot when they went that direction. Dearness Johnson split time with John Kelly, and then Harrison Bryant was your tight end, and then the rest of the time Jordan Franks and Connor Davis split time at tight end, kind of flirting there when. Ryan Switzer came into the slot. JoJo Natson and and uh, Davion Davis were your X and Z was Bradley. So um, yeah, that that's the splits. I thought from other guys' perspective of the position, I thought Switz was fine. It appears uh, you know keeps doing what he's doing. He's an NFL veteran at this point. He he has he has gone on with an injury designation IR. The same. I didn't know he got hurt. Uh, maybe there's something more there. Maybe they're taking care of him and not cutting him. I'm not entirely sure. But he went on IR the same. As Steven Carlson, which is a little bit of a surprise as they dwindled the roster down to 85. Um, so I think we kind of covered everybody there. Natson had had obviously that great punt return that we really liked. He had a nice route, a couple nice routes that I think created some separation. And that go route he had, if the ball was put out a little further, I thought it could have been a big play for him down near the goal line, but it was just a little behind. The defender made a play on it. So wrap up skill positions with quarterback Case Keenum. I thought Case was fine 26 snaps 73.1 grade 71.9 passing grade he was uh a little a, a beat slow on some throws he missed a couple throws inside obviously uh Richard Higgins made that catch on a on a ball back inside two times the first one was called back for a false start uh, they also think about that ball that was thrown a little inside on that out route to Peoples-Jones who had to make that one-handed catch. You need those balls to be more toward the sideline because if those things get jumped, they can get intercepted. Otherwise, I thought he was he was relatively good. I think Kevin Stefanski has said the same thing. He was fine uh, for what he did. He missed a touchdown ball there to Franks on that play action, but he did dump it off to Janovich, which would have resulted, it did result in a pretty nice gain. Just, you know, if a team busts a coverage like that, you want to get it to him. Kyle Laletta grades a 92.3, 91.4. I thought Pro Football Focus was a 10 generous there were some times where he missed some reads for easier throws wide open guys a couple examples uh in the in the late second late first half and on that 20 play drive too where he just kind of took the road that was a little harder there were a couple guys that i thought were more open but again for a third string quarterback he was pretty dang good i thought he was efficient his his motion is very compact which i like the ball gets out of his hand quick doesn't allow d lineman to really get in his face or if they do get in his face not knock it down as easily as you might think so um, yeah, just, just for the most part, I'm trying to look at my notes now because I'm kind of writing down, write down some notes as I, as I go through this, uh, the, the, the Lauletta thing was a short, compact delivery, which I liked. He missed two reads. I thought were obvious, easier throws that could have resulted in bigger plays case, uh, inside on out routes. He was inside on a drag route. He missed. He floated out on that first 
drive, created the pressure there that didn't need to be created, could have sat in the pocket. I understand what he was looking at. He saw a blitzer coming free, but Nick Harris, who we're going to talk about, did such a good job of peeling off him and getting to him. That ball that was thrown up the sideline from Keenum to Donovan Peoples-Jones, that's something DPJ is going to watch on film be a little upset about. He has C.J. Henderson running with him. He almost tries to do sneaky late hands to go get that ball, but he should have gone up a little bit and plucked it, almost similar to what he did... uh, um, trying to think what week it was that he ended up going up and plucking one instead of kind of letting it work into his his frame. I cannot think of it off the top of my head. I apologize, guys. But he, he got a little passive, and you could tell he was upset about getting passive because he let it try to come into him and sneak over the top of Henderson's shoulder and head. Henderson ended up getting a hand on it and breaking it up. So I think he's just got to find that sweet balance between late hands, sneaky, letting it drop over the outside shoulder, or going up using his larger frame to get the football. So uh, let's keep going here. Uh, running backs and pass pro, which I noted very clean. I thought the screen game was well-timed from everybody, which is no bigger indicator to me as the Browns slowly, slowly, slowly worked in their screen game last year. As you could tell, the timing-based thing was so off, and you want to be patient with that. They didn't run a lot of them until later in the year. I think that this is an indicator of what a year-two offense looks like for Kevin Stefanski, where you have repped so many of these screen things, and they were so crisp with the second-string line and how they how they got the football out, the timing, Everything looked beautiful, and it's so rare, as you know, as Browns fans, to to see screen game effectively run like that. So really cool to see them run that several times with the first and second offensive uh, offensive groups there. Um, we're gonna wrap up skill positions. I think that's it. We noted I noted Jordan Franks already. The better receiving tight end Connor Davis, which we're gonna illuminate with some clips when we when we throw up the uh, article today of the OBR. Kind of plotting. Didn't take great courses on his run blocking. Didn't love that. Uh, otherwise, I think that wraps up skill position, guys. We've talked about uh, we've talked about Stanton, we've talked about Janovich. I want to kind of move on and start looking at the offensive line. So the first group out, which was pretty consistent with the orange and brown scrimmage, was uh, James Hudson's your left tackle, your left guard is. Uh, uh, Michael Dunn, who I think is a roster lock at this point. Nick Harris, who I initially was down on. I'm going to talk about him in a second. Right guard was Blake Hance. And then uh, your right tackle was Chris Hubbard, which is uh, a Chris Hubbard. Him coming back as quick as Chris Hubbard has come, has come back is really, really encouraging. So let's talk through tackles first. Um, from this group, James Hudson, a 44.8 grade, 33.3 in the uh, – Pass blocking phase, a 63.8 in the run blocking phase. As we look at pass uh, pass blocking grades, uh, not entire. We'll go through everybody on this, so we'll just kind of try to wrap through everybody. Uh, I thought he struggled. I think he gets when he, he's having a hard time right now timing up the hands and the feet, and when he tries to get his punch in, his feet aren't coming with him, and that's leading people to be able to beat him in either direction right now. So he struggled in that regard. He ended up with a 33.1 pass block grade again. He had the one false start penalty as well. But uh, he had allowed two pressures, one hurry, one hit. Didn't allow a sack, but two pressures, one hit. And I think they were being a little bit generous there. True pass rush sets, these are things that eliminate like screen plays. So collectively, these eliminate, like I said, screens, play action, any play that has less than four rushers, any short dropbacks and time to throw under two seconds, such as the ball getting out quick. So you're really isolating how a guy protects his quarterback in dangerous situations. So anything where it's longer down a distance, there's nothing to aid offensive linemen from from pass rush that's really peeling at them, not thinking about anything other than getting to the quarterback. 
So how do you protect under those difficult circumstances? So James Hudson in his debut, again, this is, does not define him, uh, but he struggled. He had 18 of those reps. He had a 19.2 pass block rate and two pass sets. Chris Hubbard on the other side at right tackle had six opportunities and his 12 pass blocking snaps had a 78.8 grade, didn't allow any pressures. Uh, I thought he performed really well for his first game back. Um, uh, the guy who stood out the most of the group, you're starting uh, left guard in this in this case, Michael Dunn had 18 as well. He had an 87.4 grade. He did not allow any pressures, hurries, hits, or sacks. Blake Hans, I'm a little uncertain about. I see some things I like, and then sometimes he just doesn't move the way I would like him to move. He had a 69.8 Total pass blocking grade. He did allow one hurry in his true pass sets. He had 11 true pass sets. He had a 56.7 mark. Um, so we should probably look at run blocking grades as we tie these things in two, especially for the starters. Um, uh, I think let's kind of try to group these by position, and we'll talk through them. James Hudson, he obviously moves well in space. I thought he he was effective moving down the line and effective kind of climbing to the second level. He had a 47.7 grade on seven zone blocking schemes, wide zone particularly. He had his best mark, which was a 78.5 in gap blocking scheme, seven of those snaps. He was particularly effective there. I thought he climbed well. He got his body positioning right. I liked that from him. Chris Hubbard had five zone blocking reps where he had, or sorry, three zone blocking reps where he had a 60, sorry, 58.3 mark, and then two gap reps where he had a 59.5 mark from your guards. Uh, Blake Hance had 12 uh, total reps, six in zone, 34.2. That's where I feel like Hance gets a little lost. He does not do a good job or at least he did in week one, and what I saw in the playoffs last year when he had to arrive on the field, some guy named Blake, I was not as optimistic about him because he's not as athletic in space and doesn't quite fit as perfectly as Michael Dunn. He had six reps. He was a 34.2 zone block rate. He does not do a great job of working with the center in tandem, either the front side or back side of securing people. He allows a leak to come through, and he was a big part of the issue in their zone run game. His six, uh, I should say, I think he had six pa- uh, zone or sorry, gap schemes, which are power counter. He had a 54.6 mark there. Nick Harris I focused in a lot on because he catches a lot of flack. I thought he actually played better when I rewatched it. Extremely aware. I think the thing that he does best is he's really able to see and pass off and realize when twist stunts are happening, which is vital to keep your eyes up, peel off late, helping somebody peel off somebody to pass off an end twisting with a tackle or a tackle twisting with another tackle inside uh, the defensive line. He was really good at that on rewatch. A 69.0, nice pass blocking grade. Uh, He also had 16 true pass sets of 57.0. What he has to prove is that he can handle guys like Davon Hamilton, the Ohio State product, who's been pretty good for the Jags. He has to anchor better he is a hop he's a hop guy so he tries to brace it with quick quick uh, almost jump hops to brace it rebrace brace and rebrace if you watch him he'll be retreating it can work if you don't retreat too much there are just some circumstances where i think he retreats a little bit more than you would like he did not get a registered pressure recorded i thought though sometimes he was being driven into his quarterback's lap and you have to really watch that with baker mayfield because he's a shorter quarterback in general and you don't want immediate gut pressure in his face you want to try to avoid that as best you can overall though i thought harris was much better on all 22 rewatch than i originally had him on the television grade i think he's he can be okay i feel better about watching him 
uh, after that game. We'll see how the Giants game go because they have a far superior defensive line to what Jacksonville does. Uh, from the perspective of the zone blocking grade, he was a 56.1. Would like that to be a bit higher because he's so comfortable in that. Again, some of that's working in tandem with Blake Hans and being able to feel those things out and being able to secure the first level to get to the second level. We'll see six snaps and, and uh, gap schemes, a 61.0 grade, relatively fine. He was okay. Um, the second string line, uh, you saw Dunn take a couple snaps at center, but he's really not your second string center. Your second string center is Javon Peterson, sorry, Patterson, but Nick Harris played a lot with the second line. So when they brought in the second line, well, I guess it would be the third line, you would see Alex Taylor at left tackle. Greg Snap played a lot of snaps uh, on the right side, uh, the right side tackle. Uh, and then they bring uh, Colby Gossett in to play some right guard, and then they bring Drew Forbes in to play left guard. That's kind of your third offensive line. So the guy that you're focusing in on a lot is Drew Forbes. I kind of made some note about notes about Forbes. He's very sticky in pass pro. I like that about him, and that's why he graded pretty well, an 83.6 in pass protection. When he gets his his hands on you and his base, his foundation is right, he's pretty He's pretty solid pass protection guy. He had an 80.6 grade and six true pass set blocking scenarios. Second best to Michael Dunn. I thought it was really effective for him. I liked that portion of it. Where he's a little bit awkward is when he gets out in space and the move stuff. I just don't think he's as collected as he needs to be uh, in the run game. He had a miss on a on a pull scheme where he just completely whiffed on somebody. He did have one twist stunt that I don't think he got credit for missing that twist stunt. He did miss it. Uh, you could say he got bumped a little bit, but he has to be able to get hands on that twist, that looping defensive tackle. He got his quarterback crushed on one throw from empty, so you know he's got to be able to pick that up. But I thought he played the rookie, Jay Tufele, uh, really, really well. Tufele is the kid from USC that Jacksonville took in the fourth round who I liked a lot. I thought he played him great in the second half. His run blocking grades uh, were okay. Eight zone snaps, he had a 60.3, and then five uh, power. I keep saying power when it's collectively known as gap, which it includes power and counter schemes. Uh, he was able to put up five reps. He put up a 66.2 grade, which is one of the better uh, gap scheme uh, grades when, when you're looking at the offensive line. I think that's what he's best at. But he has to prove, if he wants to be a long-term member of the Browns offensive line, that he can handle the moving schemes, the, the wide zone, tight zone stuff. He has to be better. He's a little awkward in that right now. And I would imagine that's what's giving the coaching staff a little bit of a pause. Alex Taylor, the second string left tackle, played a lot of snaps. There's a lot to like about him. He's he's big, but he's, he's rangy. He's got the long arms. He had a 68.0 pass block grade and 15 snaps in pass protection. Six true pass sets of 50... 50.8 got a little exposed. He ended up getting a holding call where he got beat to the high side. That was his one sack allowed. But other than that one issue on that play where he gets beat, I thought he played collectively really well. And there's something there. I don't know if they'll be able to keep him on the practice squad this year. He's interesting. We'll see him against a better defensive line. 63.9 um, run grade. He was very effective moving schemes. He had a 72 0.6. Both tackles, and Greg Sanat had a great 88.9 grade in moving schemes. I think both Sanat and Taylor and, and uh, Alex Taylor moved really well when asked to run zone schemes. So Taylor had a 72.6 on eight reps in zone, 10 for Greg Sanat, who played a couple more series, had an 88.9. Uh, Sanat had a great blocking day, the 90.4 run block grade, just not as, not as quick as he needs to be in pass protection. Sanat had... Uh, in pass protection, 67.6 grade, 54.3 in true pass sets, and 14, I think he had 14 true pass sets. Just 
just a little more lumbering, not quite as light on his feet. And, and when that happens, he gets beat to the high side a little more than I would like. He's a little more vulnerable. I think Alex Taylor's got more athleticism to how he plays the position. So take that for what it's worth. I thought both guys played well. Five. Uh, Taylor doesn't bring a ton of, of, I don't know the right word here, girth isn't the right word, just not a huge offensive tackle, and I think that kind of pops up on film every now and again from like a bringing your body weight into gap schemes where you're you're taking an angle and driving either a defensive lineman or, or climbing to the second level. He had uh, seven reps in that scenario, I believe. From, no, I think he had five. Five gap blocks, 51.8 grade, which is one of the, one of the lower marks collectively. Colby Gossett is your second guard on the right side i'm not a huge fan i just don't see it very lungy lumbering 59.2 pass block grade he gave up two hurries in this game in the second half very blatantly obviously missed missed blocking assignments 11 true pass sets he had a 42.7 grade one of the worst on the team uh and and it was pretty obvious that he was struggling in this game uh, the run game, he graded out better in seven run zone schemes. He had 71.0 grade and four uh, gap schemes of 58.4. So uh, I just don't think he's on he's on the outside looking in right now. Drew Forbes and Alex Taylor are the guys kind of peeking around the corner of can they make it on this roster. That's that's your guy. I mean, your top four after your, your starters, because Javon Patterson's not going to make it. He had a 30.1 grade pass blocking. He's just not cut. He's too far off and far too often on the ground due to a lack of athleticism or whatever you want to call it, just was on the ground, missing blocks, whatever scheme. I just kind of glaringly obvious he was struggling. He did survive this rounds of cuts while uh, Cordell Owangu came on late. Uh, Owangu, I think I'm, I hope I'm saying his name right. He was he was actually one of the only offensive linemen cut. Um, as we should note, who else was cut? We talked about Carlson Switzer. Keandre Thomas was an injury designation cut, so we'll see if he ends up sticking around the roster or not. A guy who played, I liked his tape. If you listen to the defensive notes, I liked his tape, so I hope there's a way to keep him around. I think we've covered everybody. I hope. Talked a lot here. Uh, I, I can tell you that on the offensive line, I feel like your first five, obviously, that didn't play, then it's Michael Dunn. Nick Harris is still alive. In some form or fashion, your two tackles, James Hudson, and as obviously they're going to keep working with him, and Chris Hubbard because he can play guard or or tackle. And then it's like, are they going to keep a tenth? I mean, it's like Alex Taylor and Drew Forbes are on the fringe, and I don't know exactly what the plan will be there because they're good enough players. Maybe those are the two guys that they could look to move for help at defensive end or something like that. So that covers everybody. That covers the entire offense. It was super comprehensive. We covered the cuts. I think we've covered everything. It's me rambling alone now for about 35, 40 minutes. I hope you're enjoying these. If you would like a tweak to any of these, feel free to let me know. Uh, I'm going to write these things up. What I like to do is, is write these things up and put them in the scouting notes and give you some additional video clips to watch with them. Also provide you some more context. If you're an OBR subscriber, please become an OBR subscriber to our website if you can. We would appreciate it. You get so many good insights from me that are specifically uh, intended for people that join the website and subscribe with us. Join the Twitch if you can as well. Subscribe to that. We would love your uh, you know, the ability to, to earn your business and, and continue to provide pregame, postgame, all the content I'll be on to tonight. Uh, I will be doing a film chalk talk where we will talk through schemes and we'll talk through all how the rookies played. We'll watch the all 22 of how all, all important rookies played and, and have John Stephenson on. It's going to be a ton of fun. So join us for that tonight. Check it out. Give us a chance there. 
Uh, I, I genuinely support this podcast. Uh, I, I appreciate you so much for supporting it, supporting the Twitch, supporting the website. I am trying to step up my content game with the podcast and the write-ups to give you such a comprehensive understanding of what your Cleveland Browns are doing on both sides of the ball. I hope you're enjoying it. If you're not, I'm always open to feedback and discussion about these things. So uh, shoot me a DM or whatever, or ask the insiders if you have any other specific questions. I'm trying to make sure you're covered this year. Appreciate your guys' support. Appreciate you listening. Have a great Tuesday. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.